Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. It's unbelievable. You pop the app open, you pick your event, you pick your seats, you see where your seats are, you see what you're looking at. It's very easy, all done on your phone in a few clicks. You want to get in the national championship game? Go to Game Time right now. Beat those LSU fans that are trying to get in because, eh, let's be honest, they don't have to go very far. Big game, Tigers versus Tigers. One of them gets to call it Death Valley at the end. Get yourself in that game. Well, if you do that, we can help you out. Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or the App Store. Click on the My Ticket section of the app. Create an account and then under the billing section, Redeem code the athletic. Once again, that's the athletic, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So when this podcast is dropping on that day, get yourself to the app. So make your moves quick and score some last minute tickets. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, New Year's Eve Day Edition. We're dropping this thing on New Year's Eve because we know you want to be ready for the New Year's Day bowl games, and we know you might be a little busy on New Year's Day with a raging hangover. So maybe you want to listen to this before you get started on New Year's Eve, before you get deep into the feed bag or the brown liquor or whatever it is you choose to indulge in and and speaking of indulgences i go now to max olson from the athletic he's in new orleans max i'm in the i'm in like the home of feed bags of brown liquor am i not you are and it's about to get even crazier uh once all the lsu fans start descending upon well they are half of them live there but once more lsu fans start descending on it in the next week or so but you took one of my recommendations and i was so proud because this is one of those places that I just, dumb luck, it happened to be near the hotel I was staying in, it happened to be one of the only places that wasn't book solid the night I went, and it was fantastic, and it's one of my new favorite places in New Orleans, Galliano. and you visited Galliano, and I have gotten the prime rib for two, which I eat for one, uh, you got the pork chop. Oh, I got the pork chop, and and I I just I you know I I respect your hustle in in ordering for two, eating for one. Um, just wasn't feeling it that night when I went, and so I went with the pork chop, which is actually half the price of the Ma- uh, Max. That pork chop was two feet tall. It was definitely for two people. <laughs> this was uh this was also uh, daunting when it was served up here. I, I got the um, pork chop Laplace. Okay, it's a double cut smoked pork chop. Stuffed with andouille, topped with pickled red onion rings and, and a sauce, ham hock, cornbread dressing, and red beans. Wow. Also, great pronunciation on Laplace. Well, thank you. The, uh, the Jefferson family of LSU would be very proud to hear that. Man, it was... Uh, are, do you think... What are the odds you're going to go hunt this down? I, I am probably going to go there, even though they've moved uh, the media hotel for the national championship game from the 
the one that they had been putting people up at yeah. for most events in New Orleans. The, the convention center Marriott is where we used to stay for everything, and Galliano is basically, it's not right behind it, but it's it's kind of catty corner to it on the same block. So it was real easy to get to, and probably a little too easy for me. So that's uh, at least I'm going to yeah, have to walk it, a little bit now. It's literally, it's 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 like literally just down the block here. And and I honestly, when they served it up here, um, I did I, like I told the server, like I, I don't totally know how to cut into this, to be honest. But like I, I was ultimately, uh, I, d- I dug in. I was proud of the performance I gave. I, I imagine you'd you'd be on the, the the clean plate club on on that one. But I also took you up on another. Andy Staples uh, verified recommendation while I was out here. What? Which one? Koshan Butcher. Oh, so Koshan is the more upscale place you go for dinner, make reservations. Mm-hmm. Next door is Koshan Butcher, which is the butcher shop that services Koshan, the restaurant, but also has its own menu. They're open for lunch and dinner. And uh, which which sandwich did you get, Max? Oh man, the uh, I, I, at at the bartender's recommendation, I went with the buckboard bacon melt with it has collards on it it's served on this perfectly grilled uh white bread um got it with some brussels sprouts and a uh, a juicifer beer which i i love it's a very very juicy ipa from gnarly barley that's uh it was a pretty perfect meal so that is my second favorite sandwich there the buckboard bacon melt solid number two behind the pork belly which is one of my favorite sandwiches on and earth. And that one was it interesting. It's got like cucumber and mint on it. Yes, it, it has cucumber and mint. And you'd think, oh, well, that that's an odd combination. But it does that that mint go, goes perfectly with how savory that pork belly is. Because you think about it, it's uncured bacon, essentially. Yeah. And, and a thick, you know, a thicker hunk of it. So you're getting a lot with each bite. That's a lot of savory in one shot. And so the mint kind of cuts that down. So does the, the cucumber cools it off a little bit. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, now, if before you leave town, we're going to have to get you to Turkey and the Wolf. Okay. For my maybe other favorite sandwich in New Orleans. Well, my, my definitely other favorite sandwich in New Orleans. Maybe my other top sandwich on earth, the fried bologna sandwich Ooh. at Turkey and the Wolf. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is, it, it is outstanding. So, But enough of that. You're, you're there to, to cover football. And, and you – it's interesting because – I, I think when this Sugar Bowl matchup got set, we looked at it like, you know, Georgia, this season really didn't go the way they wanted it to. Baylor, they they had a much better season than they expected, but they were kind of surviving by the skin of their teeth in some games. This game doesn't look all that, all that interesting. Suddenly, this game looks extremely interesting for a variety of reasons. Yeah, it's. I mean, where do where do you want to start there? I mean, I mean, certainly. Let's, let's start with Matt Rule. Yeah, I, I think that's sort of trumped everything else that's gone on here um, so far this week. I, I think, look, in in a lot of ways, <clears throat> excuse me, in a lot of ways that was inevitable because it's it's Black Monday uh, in the NFL at at the exact same time he's getting ready for this game, and and we knew that, uh, you know, that after after Matt Rule went one and eleven at Baylor, the Indianapolis Colts still interviewed him for a job the, the next year. Uh, he he was a front runner for the Jets job. Probably could have taken it uh, if he'd agreed to to work with Adam Gase and Greg Williams there. So um, now that they're eleven and one or, or eleven and two, um, no brainer that uh, that he was going to be at the high on the list for 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 uh, a few of these franchises, and and certainly that's the case for the Giants and the Panthers now. So he is having to navigate that this week, where you're trying to answer these questions. Uh, but they're kind of unanswerable because it's not like you've been negotiating. You don't know what they're putting on the table. Um, he, he's not going to come out and lie and say, I never want to coach in the NFL. 
Um, and, and I think he's been talking with Baylor players this week. He's been, you know, really up front with them uh, every time this has happened. Um, and that, that they, they, they say they're going to know before anybody else because that's how he's always handled these things. But it's a, uh, it's a tough thing to handle the right way for, for Matt Rule and certainly something that Baylor's going to have to deal with here for the next few weeks, honestly. I think you might be the only person qualified to answer this question because I'm sure you're the only one who's actually done the research on it. Do the Giants and or the Panthers have the shacket, the smock, the whatever you want to call it that Matt Rule wears? Because I feel like that's an important negotiating point. Well, Andy, I'm, I'm pleased to share with you that uh, I've, I've a, a quick cursory Google search reveals that they both do. Um, there's a gray dun, one dun, for the Giants dun. and there's a black one for the Panthers. Oh boy, this this the plot just thickened considerably because I would have said there's no chance, but now oh they're easier know. to find than the college ones. Yeah, no doubt. That is uh that's big news, big news, Mac Max Olson. I, I I don't know if you understand the import of what you've just said, but <laughs> I think that that severely increases the odds of, well, of Matt Rule the making thing. the jump. You know, people are asking a lot. I think this is going to be the big point of contention here in the next week or two. Is is can the Giants and Panthers sort of, you know, as, as he, as, as Matt Rule and Trace Armstrong go through this, can they offer, maybe, the, you know, the godfather offer that he just can't say no to. And I think there's there's a lot of parts to that. I think the organizational setup there is, is important to him. Certainly, you kind of have to, to offer him big money. But but if you can throw in a swack it, I think that's a factor. We're calling it a swack it now? That's even better. That's amazing, but but I think you're We're right. We're calling it a smock. I think not even Matt Rule agreed that that smock is just kind of the name that that it took on. Smock just doesn't seem cool enough for for what he's made it into. That's the only problem. I yeah, swack it. I like. Best. We we got to come up with some kind of cool word for it. You know, tactical tactical hoodie. How's that? Yeah. It is yeah. hooded, right? Oh, it's hooded. Okay. It yeah, never rained during hoodie. a Baylor game this season, so he never needed it, but he had it. Just in case. And that is how prepared Matt Rule is, Panthers and Giants fans. Baylor fans already know this. But, yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, when we talk about these jobs, I think the casual fan probably goes, well, Baylor versus the NFL, that's a no-brainer. You're going to take – I mean, that's the New York football Giants or uh, Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey at the Panthers. What, what, would, what do you – why would you stay at Baylor? And I, I try to explain to people that these college coaches – are accustomed to a certain way of life, and and that way of life is I get to pick all of my players. Yeah, one hundred percent. And in the NFL, that is not the case unless you're named Bill Belichick. And I I think that makes a difference. I think so. And I mean, look, there there's been plenty of examples over over history. I, I imagine Nick Saban would would say a lot of this stuff from his time at Miami. Like these these guys are one, one reason why why Matt Rule was able to turn around. Uh, Temple and and Baylor so so quickly is, um, you know the 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 it's cliche but the culture that that he's built in his programs and the way that that he's uh, structured his organizations and the way he he treats people and the, the way he he surrounds himself with good people in his programs is is a big deal and it's a reason why he has these opportunities and so uh, it's 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 also the reason why uh, the deal like the Jets last year is just not appealing because you're not gonna. Uh, be be forced into some kind of marriage you don't want to do here. So it's especially now that Baylor has has reached this point and he can see very clearly uh, what the opportunity. Uh, you know, this is not the ceiling for Baylor. They they didn't have 
the first or second best roster in the Big 12 this year. Okay, there's room to get better. Um, now that you you have a, a season like this, and uh, which also leads to you know more performance based raises and all that kind of stuff, I, I think it's very clear to him what a great opportunity he has at Baylor. And um, you, you don't just want to walk into something where you're having to make all these compromises just because it's a big job. Exactly. And and here's the other piece of Baylor and where they're at. They're not in the SEC. They're not in the Big Ten looking up at Ohio State. They're not in the ACC looking up at Clemson. They're looking up at Oklahoma, a team that they probably should have beaten in Waco and were right in there with, with their third-string quarterback playing in the Big, T- Big 12 championship yeah. game. So why, if you're Matt Rule, would you leave that unless it was perfect because you really may be two years away from competing for the big 12 title and winning it. I mean, maybe, and maybe one year away. I don't know. I mean, it really depends on how good Spencer Rattler is at Oklahoma, I guess, but you know, you're, you're right there. And, and the talent gap is not this gaping chasm. It's not like if you were Baylor trying to suddenly compete with Alabama and LSU in the sec West, this is, Baylor competing with Oklahoma and Texas. Well, guess what? Baylor beat Texas this year, and they were really close against Oklahoma. They may only be a player or two away. You're right. And, you know, one thing that's tricky in this is I, I believe Matt Rule is still only only 44. And I think, I mean, what, about a quarter of these jobs turn over every year? So if this if, if one of these jobs is not the perfect fit, there's options down the road. But at the same time, the thing that's, that's tricky about this that he has to navigate uh, with his boss, Mac Rhodes, and, and with their fan base is uh, – if, if, if he decides to come back to, to Baylor in 2020, in some ways, like, you can't do this every year, right? Don't you think that there's going to be some no, it, it sort of building effect on your recruiting and how people recruit against you and, 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 and in convincing kids and their parents that, that this is the place you want to be? I, I, in some ways, it's sort of like if, if you're not going to do it now, you know, you either got to kind of push pause on this stuff for a few years and, and really go focus on building that contender there or – um, you, you kind of, you you're, you're, I think the patience of, of, of folks in Waco is, is going to wear thin if, if this is continues to be uh, an annual thing. I think the reaction you saw from Baylor fans yesterday was a lot of, a lot of folks, uh, starting to get, get kind of tired of this every year. Well, yeah. And, and you can't do it every year. You either take one this year or you, you put it on the shelf for four or five years. Right. And yeah, that, that's fine. It, it's something I think Matt Rule is the type of person who can make peace with himself in that way. He can sit there, examine the options, and and if it's not a perfect deal, he could probably say, "Look, I'm willing to let this go." He's not going to stop knowing how to coach for the next few years. So those NFL opportunities, because he's a relatively young guy, are going to come back if he decides not to take one this year. And, and then that way, he can just say, "I'm not doing any interviews, not doing anything unless the perfect thing comes along," and then. You drop the the line to Trace Armstrong, his agent, and say, "Okay, go get me that one." And then, and then well, that way, yeah. you're you're the one pursuing instead of being pursued. Well, and 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 even look, like let, let let's be let's be real here. Matt Rule's a native New Yorker. Um, he, he he's certainly been a follower of the Giants for a long time. He's worked in that organization. But if, if he sizes that whole thing up and goes through this process and determines that this is not the right structure or the right time to join the New York Giants. Guess what? That that job opened up two years ago, and it opened up two years before that, right? So the, it's not like this is the last chance in your lifetime. Uh, as long as you stay successful, this is not the last chance in your lifetime to take a job like this. But like I said, at the same time, 
um, for, for someone like him, I'm, I'm sure that's going to gnaw you a little bit if, if, you, if you have to uh, turn down a job like that that uh, has been on your mind in the past. It, it is tough. It is tough. But it's probably a more stable situation for him than the one for Kirby Smart right now, who he may go into this game with 75% of his scholarship roster, mm-hmm. maybe. I mean, this, this, George's situation is is weird coming in. And I'm not saying that this is going to be just like last year's Sugar Bowl where you know, Georgia seemed kind of lackadaisical there. But it, it certainly seems like this is going to be a different-looking Georgia team than the one we saw on the field most of the year. Yeah, it's 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 been interesting and being out here with with our our terrific Georgia reporter Seth Emerson. It, it, for, for, from the moment he landed in New Orleans, he and the B group here have been been trying to figure out uh, who's here, who's not here, who's playing, who's not playing, and uh, they were even you know taking out rosters out to the first practice to to sort of check off who who's out there, right? Because this has not been. Um, this has not been handled the most transparently, and I understand that for, for strategic purposes for Kirby Smart. But it's an interesting thing, certainly in 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 some ways. Like I, I, I'm curious what you think of this. Like, don't you think what happened last year and the fact they're coming back to the exact same venue here? Don't you think that that those players uh, and the folks in that program have been have been in some ways shamed about last year's game enough for the past few weeks that they kind of have to come out and play really hard in this one? I think that, and here's another thing I think, I think a lot of the younger guys who've been waiting for their chance look at this as, I can cement myself as a starter right now for next season. Yeah. So I think I think you'll actually get a much more fired up Georgia team than the one you saw last year, just because the, there's some guys, and I, I'm trying to remember, Seth had a great story about this, where, where a couple guys basically said, it's it's like spring practice mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Like we're fighting for jobs right now. I think it was Jamari Sawyer, who's going to be their new left tackle, said something like that. And, you know, I, I think that actually probably bodes well for Georgia because from a, from a talent standpoint, Georgia is better than Baylor. And if they come out engaged and, and really want to be there, there's a very good chance they win the game. But if they come out like they did last year, there's a very good chance they lose the game. Well, and, you know, I think one thing that, like it's easy to see. Okay, Georgia's missing all these guys. Whoa, whoa, maybe maybe people should jump on the the Baylor money line or something like that. But the thing is, like the guys they're plugging in. Like you're you're plugging in two new starters on the offensive line. Those guys are studs. Those guys are studs. The blue chip guys coming in. Like you're missing J.R. Reed, so you're plugging in a guy in, in Lewis Sign who um, was a, was a defensive was back a from much Texas. higher ranked recruit. Yes. Who was a higher ranked recruit and and who wouldn't you know the, the kind of recruit that wasn't given Baylor the time of day in the state of Texas, right? So it's like you're still. Like you're you're plugging in really good players there. Um, that I, I don't say that to dis- diminish what what Baylor has because Baylor does have some NFL talent on their team. But I I don't know that the drop off is is huge. But obviously there's some important spots there. We you know as as of when we're taping this on Tuesday morning, Kirby Smart do- doesn't totally know what's going on with with DeAndre Swift in terms of whether he's playing or not, or at least he's not telling us yet. Um, you know that what do they look like at running back and receiver and some of those pieces? Uh, I'm certainly curious to see, but I actually do think based on how how Baylor and Georgia both have played all season long, like the the fact that Baylor even without Charlie Brewer took Oklahoma in overtime in the Big 12 title game and 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 learned to win a lot of close games this year, I do think it will be a, a close game that goes into the fourth quarter. I'd be surprised if it was a blowout based on how Baylor plays defense. 
I would be too, based on how Georgia plays offense. They, <laughs> yeah. they, they don't run away from people. That's not really their style. And that's sort of a, a, a big bone of contention, pardon the pun, with Georgia fans. They, they feel like they need to evolve on offense in the way that LSU did, where you know, Kirby Smart says, well, we, you know, we base the game plan on the, the opponent. We want to attack. We want to run an explosive offense. But LSU changed the DNA of their offense. And, and Georgia's offensive DNA feels very much like the kind of offense you would, you would put together to try to win a national title in 2009, not in 2019. And you know, how, how close to the vest is Jake Fromm been playing things this week? Yeah, yeah, it's uh it's it's a unique situation for him and and I guess obviously you and I don't know what kind of draft grade he's he's staring at here um going into this draft, but you certainly have to size up what's around you here and what's the direction of this thing and and what's what's the best move for his future, right? Yeah, I would want assurances if I were him that the offensive DNA is changing. Otherwise, why come back? Because his his numbers went down considerably from his sophomore year to his junior year. His freshman year and sophomore year were very consistent. And then there was a big drop-off after Jim Chaney left to become the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. And, yeah, if I'm Jake Fromm, I want some assurances that you're going to run an offense that helps, you know, make me look good, that, that, does, that takes the things that I do well and emphasizes those. And if you look at Jake Fromm's numbers in 2019 – and Joe Burrow's numbers from 2018, they are almost identical. So it's not unheard of that a quarterback can take a big jump in an offense that is tailored to him. Now, I'm not saying that Jake Fromm, if he comes back and they have a different offense, that they're going to suddenly be like LSU and he's going to do what Joe Burrow did. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think if he goes back to being what he was his freshman and sophomore year, that's still a really good quarterback. That's a guy who will get picked in the first round. That's a team that will compete for the SEC title. Those are all things that Jake Fromm wants. So I, I am curious to see if that's what he's going to get. Because if they come back to me and say, no, we're going to keep the same staff. We're going to do exactly the same things we, we did this year. I would say, bye, I'll take my chances in the draft. Well, and, and we've seen, Andy, if you, if you change your offense, you can instantly turn into a 79% passer. Exactly. Who throws 50 bazillion touchdown passes? Yes, it is insane. I, I, I did ask uh, I did ask uh, Seth Emerson this morning. I said, "Hey Seth, do you think that maybe the stakes are just right for this game that we may be able to see what what Andy and I like to call fun Georgia?" And he was like, "Ugh, I don't know. I think they're just trying to get through this one." But maybe they will be fun Georgia. Maybe the guys, the young guys fighting for for position, fighting to be the leaders of next year's team. Maybe they make it fun. Come on! We know it's going to be fun, Baylor. It's always fun, Baylor. Yeah. Charlie Brewer's playing. It's going to be fun, Baylor. So let's get fun, Baylor, and fun, Georgia, and then we will have something cooking in New Orleans, and it won't just be the gumbo. Well, and see, also, see, we can, see keep, I did that? Uh, can we keep Uga safe this year? We can We can definitely keep Uga safe. Or, or one a live why? bear l lunge <laughs> ba at Uga. Baylor, Baylor doesn't have a live bear. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uga can rest easy. And as we've seen from Uga, that's pretty much all he does is rest easy. So uh, that will be a, a much more intriguing Sugar Bowl than we thought. Max Olson... Thank you so much. Please leave some food for me in New Orleans because I'll be there very soon. Yep, I got to go grab lunch. See you later. <laughs> All right, thanks, Max. 
When we come back, Tyson Alger, our great Oregon writer, will help us break down the Rose Bowl between the Ducks and the Badgers of Wisconsin. We'll be right back. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side to the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. Apple's 2017 App of the Year, with over 37 million downloads, offers an array of benefits, including an improved night's sleep, sharper focus, decreased anxiety, lower blood pressure, and much more. You, too, can experience the benefits of Calm by visiting calm.com forward slash staples for 40% off a Calm premium membership, which gives you access to Calm's library of meditation programs, ranging from sleep stories for bedtime and breathing exercises to relaxing sounds and videos. See firsthand why Calm has been featured in Forbes, USA Today, The New York Times, and other major publications like us at The Athletic. Don't wait. Visit calm.com forward slash staples for 40% off a premium membership to the number one app for sleep and meditation. Heading out of the left coast where Tyson Alger is with the Oregon Ducks as they prepare for the Rose Bowl. And Tyson, this is, I think, where they envisioned their season ending after they lost to Auburn. It, and, and the playoff was, it wasn't out of the question, but it was it was more difficult. But this feels like kind of the, the culmination of what Mario Cristobal has been working toward with this group, with Justin Herbert, the four senior offensive line starters. How big of a send-off are they hoping to have here? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's been, um, you know, I'll, I'll backtrack to like when Justin Herbert announced that he was going to come back, and this was just shortly before the Red Box Bowl, which was uh, um, a, a bowl game that was... M- Offense challenged? <laughs> yeah, a very offensively challenged game and, and met with a, um, pretty little fanfare from, from the Oregon crowd. You know, they, they were happy to be back um, in, in a bowl game and win a bowl game, especially after the couple of years they had with um, Helfrich getting fired and the whole Willie Taggart fiasco. And um, so when, when Herbert did announce he was going to come back, I, I think it did ratchet up expectations for this year. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's definitely not just Herbert. I mean, they have that entire offensive line and, and the hiring of Andy Avalos uh, as defensive coordinator has, has kind of absolutely transformed uh, this defense in, in ways that we kind of really unexpected what were unexpected to us uh, coming into the year. And uh, uh, after that Auburn game, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the playoff kind of went out of the picture after that week, other than like a two or three week span in the middle of November. And I, I definitely think that this just, this feels like the, the perfect send off for that group, especially as, you know, the Ducks, uh, they've had two or three really strong recruiting classes coming in and, and they do have some stability uh, within the program now. I mean, Cristobal, by all accounts, is now a, a bona fide coach in, the, in this conference, and, and this just does feel like a kind of a, a nice kind of set point for for this group, especially like the seniors departing before um, maybe they they set their their eyes on something grander than this. Well, that's what I, I don't want to look too far ahead and, and ignore the giant Rose Bowl in Pasadena in front of my face, but you know, I think from the outside, somebody is going to look at this and say, senior quarterback four senior offensive linemen, uh, Troy Dye, who's a senior, you know, leader of the defense. They're all leaving. They must be rebuilding. But if you've been paying attention to Oregon's recruiting, you're right. This could be the first step towards something bigger, which feels weird with all those guys leaving. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty crazy to lose a, a quarterback who, you know, when it's all said and done, is only going to be behind Marcus Mariota in Oregon history in just about every statistical category. And for people to think that they could be better going forward. I mean, if 
if, if they can get competent quarterback play next year out of Tyler Shuck or, or whoever, they do have to, a pair of four-star uh, quarterbacks coming in. I mean, the, this this team could be really good next year and, and uh, potentially elite in a couple years after that. And and I think a lot of that starts with a lot of the recruiting that they've done on the, def- the defensive side of the ball. I mean, this season was Oregon's best defensive season statistically since the 1960s. And they did it with with a bunch of players that they already had. There there wasn't any like big grad transfer that came in. There there wasn't any like substantial changes other than just that influx of true freshmen like Kayvon Thibodeau and Mace Funa and Michael Wright. And and these are young players um, who are going to be joined by they they just signed a pair of five star five star linebackers and Noah Sewell and Justin Flo and, and um, they have a 2021 uh, number one inside linebacker committed already. And and so it's. In, in the past, these were the type of players that would come to Oregon maybe every, like, there'd be gaps between, like, when you landed a player of that ability. And Cristobal's staff has just been stacking them and stacking them and stacking them in just a, a very short period of time here. Yeah, that's the thing that feels different. They don't feel like they're recruiting like anybody else in the Pac-12. USC used to recruit like this, but not really anybody else. And and you you mentioned it, but those, some of those guys have contributed really early, like, Kayvon Thibodeau, you saw in the Auburn game, all right, th- this guy can play. And then by the end of the season, in the Pac-12 championship, you're thinking, well, this guy might be the best defensive player on the field, and he's just a freshman. Well, and, and what's crazy about him, too, is uh, uh, during like Oregon's media day back in August, he, he predicted that he was going to have 10 sacks on the season. And I think through the first four games, he didn't even have a tackle for a loss. And he's coming into this Rose Bowl with nine sacks, and that's all been within the last like eight or nine games. Like he's been on an absolute tear. And and the thing with him was, you know, you you kind of felt a little bit earlier in the season that he was adjusting to not being um, just physically bigger than than his opponents, but he was always just a uh, he's kind of a tactician when it comes to his technique. And as the season's gone on, and he's adjusted to to those bigger bodies and, and being able to get around that. I mean. I, there was several plays in that Utah game, as, as you just mentioned, where, you know, you watch his explosiveness, you watch him uh, run down uh, uh, quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers and, and have that first step. I mean, he's he's absolutely phenomenal. And, and over the last month or so, he's he's almost been, I think he's been their best player on a really good defense already. Well, how much does having just played Utah help against Wisconsin? Obviously, they're, they're very different offenses schematically, but in terms of body types on the offensive line in terms of how physical they're going to try to be with you. The vibe is similar. It seemed like Oregon had no, no trouble with Utah. Wisconsin is a little different animal because Jonathan Taylor is so special, but do you think they they're prepared for that type of physicality because they, they just saw it and kind of dominated it? Yeah. You know, uh, going into that Utah game, I, I didn't think Oregon was going to win that game. I mean, Utah had been playing at, phenomenal football going into that and Oregon just destroyed them on both sides of the football and I I am a little interested to see how they match up against Jonathan Taylor because they haven't seen a running back remotely close to that ability yet this season Um, but Oregon Oregon's front seven has been so good especially considering they lost like starting defensive end uh, Gus Gus Cumberlander midway through the season and and they did have a period of about like two or three weeks where they were struggling to get pressure but they, they've done an excellent job of adjusting to that. And they have such athletic guys on the outside, uh, whether it be like Thibodeau or, or, or Funa, who, who can pass rush and still get back into coverage, uh, that I, I'm really looking forward to that matchup because Oregon does have a lot of speed. But, I mean, 
if you look at Mace Funa, the guy's like 265 pounds as a true freshman linebacker. I mean, they, they, they can certainly play physical if they need to. So I, I think this is a pretty fun matchup. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at the office. Or, sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home, and the doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Getting started is simple. Go to GetRoman.com forward slash staples and complete an online visit. Again, that's GetRoman.com forward slash staples for a free visit to get started this is your first time seeing jonathan taylor in person right yes sir oh boy you're, you're in for a treat i think he's the best wisconsin tailback of this this period of wisconsin tailbacks if you go you know the the belama anderson christ eras where you had uh monte ball uh you know i'm not going all the way back to ron dane <laughs> but uh melvin gordon there have been some really good backs and it feels like he got the best piece of every one. He's like a Frankenstein monster created out of the best attributes of each of those guys. And so I, I'm really excited to see that because you're right. Oregon's defense, I think, was was maybe the surprise of the season in the Pac-12 because you knew how good they could be offensively with that offensive line and and with Herbert coming back. And now the, the receivers were banged up, but they had the raw materials to be a really good offense. But the defense was a little little bit unknown. Andy Avalos was new, replacing Jim Levitt. But that group, I mean, that was supposed to be what Oregon couldn't ever put together. Yeah, no, it, it, it's pretty striking because I, I still do feel like there's a bit of a national perception that Oregon is still that quick strike blur chip kelly style offense and 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 that's what like they're known for and and that's not the case at all i mean this is still a pretty potent offense they were they've been number two in the pac-12 the last two seasons just behind washington state but um there were there were multiple games this season where the defense won them conference games and i i can't think of the last time where where i really remember an oregon team really leaning and needing that defense to perform like that um yeah, like, like I said, like the offense has been good, but they haven't been consistent every game. You know, they'll go and put up uh, 59 points on USC or whatever it was and then struggle to, to score a pair of touchdowns against Stanford and Cal. But every single game with maybe like one game as an exception, like this defense has been consistent. They, they've been getting into the backfield. And, and the thing I've been most impressed with, especially in Avalos' first season here, is just the cohesion with it. Everyone knows their assignment. Uh, they communicate incredibly well and uh, – uh, it was funny looking at like the the, the Pac-12 All Conference awards. I think there was just one defensive player who made any of the of the rosters not honorable mention, and I think that was just a product of of how balanced and spread out the talent has been uh, on that unit this season. Marcus Arroyo's in his last game as the offensive coordinator is going to head off and and be the head coach at UNLV. What happens next with this offense? Because Herbert's gone, new coordinator, uh, four offensive linemen gone. Uh, and I realize, again, they're going to play a game in the Rose Bowl. But, you know, this is this is one where if Oregon is looking ahead to be something special, you know, who are we going to see in the Rose Bowl who is going to be a difference maker next season? Is it is it the three-headed tailback monster, for for instance? Is it is it one of the receivers? Who will be kind of 
the people they build around going forward? Yeah, that, 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 that's a good question. Uh, so the offensive line, they they have a pretty deep second unit of offensive linemen. You know, they, they've been fortunate enough to uh, kind of develop behind the, this group of starters. And I mean, Penny Sewell. There's also that Sewell guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm actually writing a, a story that's coming out uh, uh, later this week. Just that I got everyone on Oregon's roster to give me their Sewell for Heisman pitch. And uh, uh, that wasn't very difficult for them to do. Because uh, that guy's just been an absolute monster for the last two years, and he's only 18 years, or he just turned 19 years old, which is kind of wow. which is kind of ri- <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but as far as the rest of the offense goes, uh, at, at wide receiver, uh, Johnny Johnson has had a, a breakthrough year. He's he's been the guy for the last two seasons who's had he's just been unreliable. He's had a lot of drop passes and this and that, and and he led led the team in receptions and yards this year. He had a couple spectacular catches in that Utah game. He'll be back next year. Uh, Micah Pittman, who was a, a really hyped up four star. Uh, wide receiver coming into the year and, and suffered a pair of injuries uh, early in camp. He he broke his, uh, I believe it was his, uh, his collarbone or, or something with his shoulder, and then he broke his arm uh, midway through the season. But he's been cleared to play, uh, and, and he'll play in the Rose Bowl. And I think that he's kind of the key piece uh, for this offense going forward because he can do so many things. And he's not your, like, prototypical, like, big-bodied, go-up-and-get-it type, but man, the, the things that he can do in space with the football is, is pretty impressive. And, and I think he's one of the more uh, impressive skill position players that the, uh, this offense has uh, moving forward. Talking to Tyson Alger, our Oregon beat writer. And I'd be remiss, Tyson, if I did not mention your podcast, It Never Rains. Sorry, LSU fans, you're not the only people who use It Never Rains <laughs> in your stadium. Uh, but uh what what days are you dropping your podcasts? Yeah, so we we come out uh, with with episodes on Mondays and Fridays. Uh, I just recorded an episode with uh, Jesse Temple, our Wisconsin writer. Who, uh, you know, I didn't really want to have him on because his his stuff's way better than mine, and I didn't and I didn't want to like broadcast that to everyone else. We, but you know, like, we all feel that way about Jesse. Yeah, it, <laughs> that's the thing. It's frustrating, isn't it? You know, and, and he's a nice guy too. So it's just it's yeah, it, but if if. If you're a writer and you want to feel ashamed, read one of Jesse's stories and realize <laughs> what you could be. Yeah, so, it, it, yeah it's, exactly. it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, so so we uh, we, we drop ep- episodes every Monday and Friday. Uh, it's, it's usually Aaron Fentress and I, and, and we've had a we've had a fun time uh, going through with the, the podcast this season, uh, which is you know after uh, three years removed from a four and eight duck season and the whole Taggart thing, this is this has been a pretty fun year to cover, and, and a lot of good stories have come out of it. Well, and, and the thing is, Fentress has no strong opinions on anything. He's just such a wallflower. Yeah, no. I don't, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he is. Yeah. He he will tell you how he feels about all of this stuff. But you, you mentioned the big picture for Oregon. And four and eight season that get, gets Mark Helfrich fired. It is pretty crazy to think that was only three years ago. Yeah. Then the Willie Taggart thing happens. That was only two years ago. They're they're standing up applauding in the team meeting as Mario Cristobal gets the job, and a bunch of people are like, "Wait, the guy who was at FIU, really?" <laughs> yeah. what? But you know, I, I think about Mario Cristobal, and and there's kind of a parallel track with Ed Orgeron, where you know he Ed Orgeron had a head coaching stint that didn't work out. Now, I I would argue just because I'm in Florida, a little closer to it. Mario Cristobal's Florida International stint was not as bad as the record looks, was not nearly as bad as Ed Orgeron's Ole Miss stint was. You know, if you look at who Mario Cristobal hired or at least tried to hire 
while he was at FIU, it's insane. Like he he offered Scott Cochran the, the strength coach job before Alabama offered Scott Cochran their strength coach job. He had Scott Satterfield on that staff. He had a bunch of future coordinators and head coaches that came through there. He he was pretty sharp already. But you wondered would he ever get another shot? And then he does get another shot. And just like Ed Orgeron in his second shot. It's a different vibe and a lot of success. Well, and, and what's crazy about it, too, is is not only has this been excellent timing for Cristobal and kind of his career resurgence, but for Oregon, when Helfrich got fired, I thought I thought there was a good chance that that was going to set the Ducks back for a decade because that that was the year that Washington went to the playoff. I think, yeah. I think U.S. Did USC go to the Rose Bowl that year? USC, they did. Yeah, Washington went to the playoff. USC went to the Rose Bowl. And those are kind of the two Seattle, Los Angeles premier teams in the North and South. And and I I just didn't think that uh, – I, I thought Oregon had kind of blown its opportunity. And, and the chances of them kind of returning to, like, the top hierarchy of the conference was, was going to take a very long time to get back. But now, you know, Chris Peterson – is out after this year and Washington's got, you know, got some questions and I mean, UFC is, uh, I, you know, I don't think I need to rehash that, but it, it's, it's pretty darn easy for Oregon to go into LA and pull the best players right out of the Trojans backyard right now. Um, I, I think Oregon has under Cristobal has completely positioned, positioned itself to be in, in, in this position every year going forward. I, I just don't see who else in the PAC 12 is, is really going to compete with them um, at least consistently over the next couple of years. And you know who's really smiling about that, Tyson, is Rob Mullins, the athletic <laughs> yes, director. Because after he hired Willie Taggart, and Willie Taggart bailed after a year, I mean, that put Rob Mullins on the clock, essentially. And this hire of Cristobal has, has cooled that off completely. And now, I mean, I, I know Mario is going to keep pushing Rob Mullins to give him more. I know he's got you know the, the organizational charts from Georgia and Alabama somewhere in his office, and he's going, you know, they have all this. We need all this if we want to compete with them and, and make the playoff and, and all that. So, it, But it feels like a pretty good relationship. And uh, you saw Mario replace a defensive coordinator this year, and the defense got better. He'll have to replace an offensive coordinator, obviously. But it does seem like they are very well positioned for the long haul. Well, I mean, that, that was the big question coming into the season was, okay, we've, we've seen the way that they can recruit and kind of build all the stuff around a program. And, and this year was more like, okay, well, can they actually bring results to the field? And now that we've seen that, um, I, I think that Mullins should have all sorts of trust in, in Cristobal because he's essentially backed up everything that he said he's going to do. And, uh, um, that, that was incredibly important to Mullins because not only was he the guy who brought in Taggart, but he was the one that hired Mark Helfrich too. And so like, this was kind of like his last, you know, his, his third chance, his third time to, to put his name to a guy. And, and it looks like this one has absolutely been a home run hire. It is amazing. And now Mario Cristobal will make his Rose bowl debut against the Wisconsin Badgers. Tyson, have fun. Tell Jesse don't write too good of a game story. You don't want to show everybody else up, but uh, I, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell him to take it easy on me for this one, but hey, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you, sir. Tyson Alger, you can hear him on It Never Rains, our Oregon podcast, and you can read what he writes from the Rose Bowl, Oregon versus Wisconsin from Pasadena. January 1, it's going to be great. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Friday with the secret to happiness and a breakdown of all the bowl games. 
until the national championship game. 